Hi guys, it's Joe Katz. Thanks so much for tuning into the Katz Walk. I've got my second part interview with Jamie King, who was a supermodel and transitioned her career. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. into acting she had a huge breakout role in heart of dixie on the cw and now is the star and executive producer of the netflix series black summer she is going to talk all about her experience in acting how she got into it some great behind the scenes of black summer on netflix so stay tuned Jamie, thank you so much for coming back and talking. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yes, it's so fun to have you on. And we talk so much. I mean, I could talk to you so long about all your modeling stuff. It's amazing. Thank you. I mean, you. we could probably even go for another hour. But there's, there's so much more we could be talking about. Oh, my about, God. Sure. Uh, yeah. Between the both of us, it's a, a never-ending beautiful book. Yeah. <laughs> a book is definitely, I could see in your future for sure. But um, I want to talk to you about all of your acting because we talked about the modeling and I wanted everybody to hear about everything that you're doing because you've really grown and it's like, you've got a hit show now on Netflix, which is awesome. Black Summer. And yes, I want so thankful. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. I want to give people just a little idea. And I want to learn too, because I, I know about some of it, but I remember when you got started, wasn't your first film, was it Pearl Harbor or no? My first film was called Happy Campers and okay. it was written and directed by Daniel Waters. And Daniel wrote one of my favorite films called Heathers. And he had seen a picture of me when I was a model and wrote a character inspired by a photograph that he saw. And so Denise DeNovi and Mike DeLuca, two brilliant uh, producers, reached out. I flew out to Los Angeles and I auditioned about six times, got the part. And it was myself, uh, Peter Stromare, Justin Long, like an extraordinary cast. And we shot it in North Carolina. And I remember, <laughs> I remember when they called action, I froze and I looked to Justin Long and I was like, what do I, like, what do I do? He's like, no, you act. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. oh, okay. And then my second film was Blow with Johnny Depp and Penelope Cruz. Oh, wow. Um, then I did Pearl Harbor. And then... After that, I did Slackers with Jason Schwartzman and Jason Siegel. Uh, I mean, I mean, so many amazing actors. I look back on it and it's just wow. 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 And, and so when you decided you're going to get into acting, how did, what did that look like? Did you start going to an acting school or a classes or coaches? Well, to me, I think the biggest education that I got, you know, to even become an actor was through watching so many films and listening to so much music and reading so much. So that was really like a foundation. And my friends that I met when I was still in the fashion industry, Joaquin Phoenix and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Tobey Maguire, Stephen Dorff, there were 
you know, a group of these extraordinary actors that I met and I would watch them, you know, and the way that they would work. And they taught me so, so much about this industry that we're doing and the dedication and the, the work and the training and uh, putting me with the right teachers and coaches. And they were still doing scene studies, even though they had huge movies out and, and really taught me the importance of that the craft comes first and taught me about what it means to do press and how you should do it. And they always said, you don't do anything unless you know that a movie is coming out, you keep your private life private. Um, and this was, a, you know, at a time way, way before social media, mm. um, you know, you work, uh, you know, you do body movement training, you do vocal training, you never stop. It's a limitless craft. And um, they set a bar for me that I'm so thankful for because I look to them again, you know, when they have huge careers and hit movies and they were still treating it every single project, every single day as, as another opportunity to just keep digging deeper. Wow. So, so you had different kinds of coaches, like, did you do Meisner or um, Stanislavski or all of those? Yes. I mean, all of it, and, uh, very much rooted in the actor's studio. Oh, the actor's very studio. Very much rooted in the actor's studio. But I've been trained in all of them and still trained in, in all of them. Um, my teacher now is uh, a woman named Nancy Banks, and she's phenomenal. My previous teacher and best friend passed away two years ago. Um, she had cancer, and she was really like a deep love of my life. But she brought me to the depths of of who I am and understanding how to um, you merge who I am with the character and and bring that to life. And um, she was one of the most extraordinary teachers on the planet. And when I started working with Nancy, you know, Nancy was trained at Larry Moss and she's amazing. You know, look at her work with Jen Aniston or Margot Robbie or, you know, like all these like amazing people. And then I work with a man named Jean-Louis for, for movement. And there's teachers that come into your life and uh, make a profound impact on the way that you approach any project. And I really feel like these teachers need to be celebrated because as actors, they're like our anchor, our root, you know, to, um, to connecting to the material and, and they give you permission to connect it to it in a different way than you saw it before. And that's, what's so exciting about filmmaking in general is there's always a different approach. There's always a different way in, and there's always a more articulate, multifaceted, way to connect to and to share the truth. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when I walk onto a set or approach a character, I may think I'm coming about it one way. It ends up being completely different. And that's the exciting part of it. You know, with Black Summer, it is truly one of the most extraordinary uh, transcendental experiences that I've had as, you know, an artist and as a producer. We first started filming season two in February, mm-hmm. you know, and then COVID hit. Right. Right. And then we were the first production to go back up for Netflix. And pre-COVID, I, I remember this moment of being on set where I was like, okay, let me just connect. You know, we say this a lot with acting. It's just do what you were given and, you know, use everything. When we say use everything, it's like use whatever what's happening that's going on in that moment in your life personally and just give it over. You're giving it over. And this kind of alchemy takes place where it's not reliant on sense memory. It's not reliant on just your imagination or a flower smells like this. You have all these different ways that you're trained. And then there was this moment where it was like all of those years just 
had this beautiful communion inside of me. I was like, oh, wow, I can just be right now. I can just be. I don't have to act. I don't have to be myself. I don't have to be Rose. I can just be. And mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to put words on it, but it's, it's a combination of working with one of the greatest filmmakers I've ever worked with, John Himes, who makes every actor in person feel so safe. It's is a combination of, you know, Netflix and the studio and their belief in me and mm. putting me in a position of power to produce and star, um, you know, as a woman, which is so rare and to tell stories and cast actors that, you know, are unknown. It's like the whole process of it and our crew, you know, that has a, like a, a kind of connection that's magical and, mm you know, when you have all of that around you as, as the actor, it creates that space. And this thing happens that's indescribable. Right. It's just been amazing. And then coming back into the production after COVID, when you have so many rules, you're quarantined, you're in a bubble. As the producer it was challenging because I'm the star as well. So then I couldn't physically be on set if I wasn't on camera, then even on set, I'm isolated from the other actors. So it's taking a very intimate, creative experience. And then it becomes very sterile and medical. And yet somehow this group, you know, our crew, our cast, us together, got through it with joy and with humor. And Again, we use it all, you know, and so it's so important right now to be able to have a place to put all these big feelings that we have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've always wanted to do what I do because when I was little and I would watch films and I would watch shows, I felt like it would be that one thing that was a salve for me to say, oh, I'm not alone in the world because I could see through characters and through the stories myself or my story being told in some way, shape or form. So it's a real gift to do it and to be a part of it and to share it because it's always about the sharing of it. Who, I was just curious when you said you used to watch when you were a little kid, who inspired you as an actor or actress? I remember growing up and seeing like the Brady Bunch and I remember Heart to Heart. Yes. Stephanie Powers, she always got in trouble. And I was always, (laughs) all these funny shows. I just was curious who you like looked at and thought, oh, they kind of speak to me a little bit. Anything Michelle Pfeiffer did, I was Mm. obsessed with. Mm. And Olivia Newton-John because I love musicals. So it's like, you know, Grease was a a big film for me. And then I think, honestly, I think it's because Olivia did the first Grease. Then uh, Michelle did the second one. And it it really was a story about like an outcast that didn't fit in and then had like like that whole thing. But it combined everything that I love, which was, you know, acting, singing, dancing, costumes. Like it actually is a pretty brilliant film because it's exploring social dynamics and groups of people right. and who fits where and who doesn't and all of that. And um, Angelica Houston, I loved and Pacino and Nicholson and Uma Thurman, Poitier. I mean, so many different yeah. actors that I remember when I was really little. Mm-hmm. Betty Davis. Oh, yeah. Um, there was something about Betty Davis that was just like, you knew she was just a different person. Like she, there was, or Catherine Hepburn, it was like they were feminine and masculine. They were everything in between. They owned who they were individually and as the character, even though I didn't know Mm -hmm. anything about them at that time. But 
you could feel it through their performances. It's, right. it's funny how people make a mark on you when you're really little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge impression. Yeah. And it, I remember you telling me about um, when you were doing Black Summer with the whole COVID thing and like how you had to be basically you're by yourself, right? Like you couldn't yes. be with other people. And they were like, what is it? Green, yellow and red zone. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So you have like red zone, yellow zone, a green zone and purple. And so purple are the actors. So a purple zone, it means essentially we would say, Oh, walking purple, uh, purple means you have no PPE on and like no one can come near you. Oh. When we take our PP off because cameras are going to roll and right. the only people that are even allowed in that zone or near that zone have to be fully in PP. And the only people that are allowed to are the director, um, the cinematographer, your camera operator, um, your AD department. It's like, very, very strict. Right, and we have right. what we call the COVID police, or which is HSS department, a new department. And thank God for them that really makes sure that no one is near. Like for instance, if wardrobe needed to touch something on me, they would have to be in a full gown, mask, goggles, face shield, and gloves, right? And so if they were to coming to adjust this, they move their hands once and stepped away, they'd have to disrobe, take oh all God. of the PP off, recycle that, put all new back on. Thank God our set has so much fun. Yeah. It's humor, right? So right. we would figure out a way to make it fun. But knowing that it was really serious and we had the dedication, the ethic, because we love this show so much and love what we do so much and how necessary it is right now for us to be like the, even the opportunity in the first place to, to get anything made in Hollywood is seemingly impossible. Oh, but yeah. then when that's like the love of your life is to create films and, and television to do that. And then the responsibility of when you have that opportunity and with COVID, you know, to be the first production back up was like, oh, whatever we do here, it's vital because if we can get through this, then we can share that with other productions right. so other productions go back up. So, so the whole industry is relying on each other right now to, to get it back up. And, and most importantly, we need stories to get out to audiences because they need it. Art, mm -hmm. art heals. Mm -hmm. And so when we went up there, we were on essential workers visas. Um, and there were seven given um, from the prime minister. And I was talking to my makeup artist, Ashley Lovey. And she was like, you know, when I got that visa, it was like the first time that I felt like really seen and heard for what it is that I do. Because, and I, and I really struck me and I understand because People think that filmmaking or acting or being on a production is some glamorous thing. We're shooting, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. We are, you know, required to be away for months at a time. So I really understood what she meant when she said that, you know, mm. people think it's like you go and you play dress up and it's yeah, just right. so, it's so much. So much deeper. Yeah. So much deeper than that. Yeah. It's so interesting to see like what you did on the show. And it was like so intense. Like there's so much like intensity yes. of it. And um, before we had chatted about how it really has a social meaning. Very much so. In, in what way? In a way that, you know, when Trump was elected and kids were getting ripped away and separated from their families at the border and it, a culmination of so much injustice and so much, you know, inherent racism, xenophobia, homophobia. There's such a division in the country. It was really like a tipping point. And how do we talk about this? What mm -hmm. does that look like? In the show, people think 
it's just about like zombies or something like that. But interestingly enough, there wasn't even like the word zombie in the first script that I read. People were getting sick. And the sickness is representative of the division and the hatred and that no one is immune to it, that we have to come together as a collective. Uh, What would that look like if there was a pandemic? And then boom, like the pandemic, it was like, oh my God. You know, like when you watch the first episode, you know, the government doesn't know what's happening. We don't know what's happening. No one knows what's happening. It it was crazy. It was just super (laughs) surreal, right? It was like, how is this happening that we started talking about this and making this thing? And then all of a sudden people were getting sick and no one knew what this thing was. And what did that look Uh, like? And people were, you know, uh, racing to buy toilet paper and commodities and supplies. And those were the stories we're telling where it's like money in a way it wasn't about money. It was about do you have enough food? Do you have right. water? Kind of, it's crazy how that works. Because it's like nothing we've ever experienced. It's really nothing. Nothing. That, There's no words. Yeah, there really isn't. And it's amazing. And you got through it. You, How many months did you shoot? August, September, October. I wrapped on the 21st, came back to Los Angeles for a few days and flew down with my children to Puerto Rico to do my film with Bruce Willis. And then, you know, again, getting productions up and running is so challenging. There are all these like contingencies, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, when we got there, some tests were positive or inconclusive. So then obviously you're already quarantined, but they were false positives Uh and hundreds of people are retested. Then you're waiting for the test and the labs don't turn around the test depending on the spikes of the city or the place at that time. And, And Puerto Rico was on a curfew and a lockdown. So it was you just have to be super malleable and flexible yeah, and right. and dedicated, you know, because no one knows what's going on no, right now. We're all learning in the world. Yeah, period. we're, all, we're all just like, okay, yeah. Like, how are you? It's like, no, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. How do That's we a good question. What we're feeling in each yeah. moment because it's like everything that we know as routine or structure or a reference point has essentially been eradicated. Right? right. It's uh, it's just interesting. What is the film with Bruce Willis about? Can you tell a little bit about that? Yes, it's called Out of Death. And it's essentially about a woman who is grieving the loss of her father and really the lack of relationship that um, she had with him. And she goes on this journey to spread his ashes and she witnesses a corrupt cop murder. So it's really about the abuse of power. And who, who does Bruce Willis play? He plays a cop as well. And I'm not a cop, but it's like, it's about cops that are good, cops that are corrupt. And Mm -hmm. a person that is like, I don't trust any of you. Who do I believe that has to fight against it all? And then learn how to trust again whilst going through this journey of grieving. Yeah. And it was very timely you know, because I feel very strongly about <laughs> yeah. about these issues. So did that script just happen to come through or was that something you were working on? It's funny how that works sometimes. I just, I literally just got a call and I was quarantining with one of my best friends here during the protest and all of this stuff. And boom, it was just like, you know, you, you've got this film offer and it's with Bruce and this is what it's about. And I was like, it's wow. perfect. You know, huh. it's, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. It's so interesting because I look at your career and I look at like, I think of like, Heart of Dixie, where you play this, you know, oh, like, I love that. yeah, like yeah. Heart of Dixie was just that, like, that was my favorite. It was like lighter, and, but it was just like you yes. played this like 
aristocratic girl and, you know, but it's so interesting to see that compared to like when I looked at Black Summer, it's like, whoa, those are like two different things. Like this is very lighter, fun, you know, and then this is dark. And it sounds like the Bruce Willis thing is also, what do you prefer? When I watched that opening scene of you in Black Summer, like so intense of you climbing up on that chain. Oh my God. And that's, and we shoot in runners. So it's like a play on film. We shoot for like up to 15 minutes without cutting, you know, it's very immersive, you know, and really rare that you're ever given an opportunity to do something like that. But um, honestly, I don't have a, I love it all. And I'm looking for what it is that's going, not only challenge me, um, but how can I explore humanity and reflect humanity back to humanity in the most powerful way. And, you know, doing Heart of Dixie and coming as a film actor into television and approaching it like I would a film, um, you know, and creating a very nuanced layered character when the material is light was a really fun thing to do, you know, because you could look at Lemon Breland on a page and, you know, they were having a really hard time casting it and they had offered it to me multiple times. And I said, no, cause I didn't have interest at, at that time in doing television. And I didn't know if I would be allowed to approach lemon the way that I would as doing films, you know, cause it's sometimes at that time it was different kinds of acting. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down with the, the showrunner and the creator and, and when she explained it and that I could root it in something that mattered to me, which was taking this idea of, you know, a woman from the South who, uh, was raised with certain traditions um, and put up on a pedestal who felt very strongly about things. But when you really look at it, it was like she was raised without a mother. She had to raise herself and her little sister and taught that if you break any of these traditions in a way or that you have to be married and it has to look like this and if not, then somehow you, you're a, a failure, right? Or you don't fit and in. Or, yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, it's like, here are the rules and you must adhere by them. And, mm-hmm. and it's really, it really becomes an exploration of a woman that feels strongly about where she comes from. And at the same time, a feminist, you know, is light. But when you yeah. look at it, we were really talking about other things there, you know, right. and with Black Summer, it's the same thing. That's the fun thing about, about this work, yeah. you know, and I, and I do believe that when, when someone is casting something or when you're writing something or directing something, producing Every, so many things have to align and I'm putting it mildly, as you know, mm. for it to happen. So I do believe that it's like, if you're meant to do that thing, you're, you're going to do it. And that, you know, I always uh, think about fingerprints, right? I know if I read a script or if I'm writing something, what is for me versus what is for another actor or another filmmaker or another writer? When is it, when is it time to say, oh, that's not mine. That's for them. and for me, what I love the most is to be in a position where I can create things for other people where they can tell their stories, mm. you know, other actors, other directors, you know, other, yeah, other filmmakers, you know, that's why I love producing so much and, and why I love directing or writing is when you see things in other people and you're like, oh, I want to see that, you know, like, how does that happen? It's interesting, yeah. though, because in Hollywood, I feel like living here in L.A., everybody is about me. Oh, my God, I, I got this. I got this. I, I, this is a part for me. Like, you would think you'd want to give me that part, and I'll take that part, and I'll do this. I feel the opposite. I love actors. 
I love the grip department. I love electric. I love setback. I love all of these artists. You know yeah. what I mean? And so when I when you have the experience of seeing people do what they do brilliantly, and you're lucky enough to be a part of what that feels mm-hmm. like, I I'm just like, okay, how do we create more of that? And that's again why um, you know uh, just acting is too way too limiting. For me. What would you, I was just thinking about this as you were talking, because I'm looking at you going, oh, there's that girl from Nebraska. <laughs> there's that little girl from Nebraska. <laughs> and and I'm that little boy from, from Iowa, Iowa, but we've all grown up. <laughs> but what would you tell that little girl from, like a little girl watching you from Nebraska that's 13, that's like, God, I would do anything to be Jamie King. Like if I could do that, how could she do it? What if she can't model? What if she just wants to come to Hollywood and she wants to do it? What would be your advice? I believe that people can do anything. I really do. And I'm not trying to sound lofty. Yeah. I know it. Cause that's my experience of a kid that came from nothing from the middle of nowhere. Right. And through a lot of hard work mm-hmm. and a lot of study and a lot of grace and there's miracles along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to a kid in Nebraska, it's like now it's such a different time. You have social media, you have, you know, different ways of receiving information. It's like study films, study the artists that you love, you know, learn about that. You know, there's, there's endless ways to learn about it. There's endless ways to create things now, even if you're in Omaha, Nebraska, wherever you are, you know, you can grab your iPhone and yeah. make a movie. Right. Do it. Right. You can do it. You know, like, just do it. You can. I mean, people create their own thing and they become viral or they, or maybe they don't become viral, you know, maybe they just make what they love. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And we couldn't and do that. that's part of it. Yeah. No, we didn't have, it was so different then, mm. right? It's just so different. And, and when you said it could go viral or even if it doesn't go viral, you could make what you love that really hit in my heart in such like a, you know, beautiful way because it's true. We just, I just want to do what I love. And I know that you want to do what you love. People, human, human beings want to do what they love. There's a strange thing about work, like that you can't actually have fun Mm -hmm. doing your work. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of, I think, you know, messaging around like, if you love something, it doesn't mean that that can be your career. Or if you right. love something that, that, it's a hobby. You know, like it's a hobby. Those are hobbies. Yeah, it's your hobby. Yes. It's a fun hobby. It's your you hobby. should keep that, but keep it's that full time job with benefits. Yeah. Precisely. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're all kind of learning. And I think, especially through a pandemic, it's like, my God, you know, like do what you love and do it for you. Because I think that the more that we start to do what we love, the more that we start to attract a world and an experience that is beyond what we could ever possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Truly. Yeah. It's just, I think a lot of times, and I've, I've known this even for myself sometimes, and I know with even other friends, we go, well, you know, I don't know if I can really support myself doing that. Wouldn't I love to? Of course I'd love to. I'd love to have yeah. Jamie's career because she's producing that. She's on Netflix. She gets all that. This is amazing. But you had to take risks too. But I mean, a lot of people- Everything is a risk. Yeah. Everything is yeah. a risk. And it's all the risk taking that- is why I'm here now, but there's still always risk. It's like the, mm-hmm. there are huge things I've done that I did for nothing, not knowing whether it was going to be huge or not. I think people have a misconception about Hollywood and, and doing something and like everyone's millionaires, you get millions of dollars, but right. it's like, that's really not the case. Right. Like it's really not, you right. know, 
it's like you're hustling you're you're rejected thousands of times before you're said yes to you and even when you get a yes it doesn't mean that the next one's going to be a yes one thing i'm thinking if people look at you and they go well jamie king she wasn't rejected oh my god <laughs> really like, can sit all, all the time yeah all the time yeah you mean in acting all roles and stuff like that uh, yeah all actors are yeah, yeah i know i know you, you go you know it's that's the process you know, it's a lot of work mm -hmm. and it's a lot of being willing to literally unzip your soul yeah. and your, what I call our human suit, step into something and saying, okay, I'm just going to give it all right now. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I, like, this is what I'm going to do. Like that's like it, standing and naked knowing, in front of somebody, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what it is. And that's yeah. what it means to, to really be an actor. I know that now I finally feel like I'm in the position where I'm, in a place where there's grace, you know, in terms of, oh, wow, I really earned where I am right now. I've earned my position mm -hmm. as a producer. I've earned my, the, I've earned everything that I've done. And now I get to, again, create the space for other people to have those opportunities. What would you say to somebody that says, you know what, I have a full-time job. I have benefits. It's super secure. I feel safe, but it's yeah. not, it's not something I really like. I'd love to go do, I'd love to be an actress. I'd love to be a singer. I want to do that, but I'm too scared because it's like, I'm going to lose my money. I'm going to lose my benefits. I could go yeah. homeless. I could be all of that. So is it worth it to just say, I'll take it as a hobby or should I jump in? Or what would your advice be? I'm the kind of person that say, just jump in. Mm -hmm. Really? Because what I do is essentially freelance. There's no guarantee right. that I'm going to have a next job or a next job, just like you. Yeah. The only security that I know that I have is that I do what I love. Right. And I do it very well. Yeah. And I get to share that with people. And also there is a practicality thing, right? So if it's something that you love that you want to do, it's not like, okay, just burn everything to the ground. You know, it's, is there a way that you can, you know, go from full-time to part-time? Every, every individual is different, you mm -hmm. know, and it's, I would never advise, you know, people to just quit everything and, right. and do what they love if they don't have the capacity to handle that thing. Right. It's mm -hmm. like when we talk about emotional authenticity, I remember I was doing a, uh, asked to do a talk about emotional authenticity in social media. And I remember when I was up there, it struck me, I was like, I never went about social media to be emotionally authentic. I just speak from a place of truth. It was never like a strategy, mm -hmm. you know, it's just who I am. Right. But, uh, and someone's like, well, how, how would you go about, how would you advise someone to be emotionally authentic through social media? And I was like, basically, if, if you're about to post something that scares you, that you're probably being pretty authentic, but that doesn't mean that it's the right thing. You know, when I say mm -hmm. scares, it's like anytime that we're revealing ourselves right. feels scary. Right. Sure. Um, but, but the more that we reveal who we are and what we love and do what we love and, and being vulnerable there, that is our greatest strength. I believe that vulnerability is our greatest strength. Then other people see that and they're like, Oh, you said that thing, or I saw that thing. And that really resonated with me and that really helped me. And so then, you know, it's like, it's a, it's like this extraordinary um, effect that we have on each other, you know? And so yeah. um, I feel like the more that we can, you know, find out ways to to dip our toes into doing what we love like is there a local theater mm -hmm. is there a, is there a role that you could audition for and if you went to part-time that you could do that like mm -hmm. it's and then see what that feels like in your body and your heart and your mind and your life like what does that feel like and then it's 
And then, okay, you know, so the more we start to do what we love and, and experience the fullness of what that gives us, the more confidence we have to move into that. Right, right. That makes sense. You yeah. know, there's always different ways. Oh, yeah. You know, when you talk about confidence and because this whole podcast, too, is about fashion and style, it makes me think about confidence in, you know, people look at you, too, and they go, Jamie is so cool. Like she can put she can rock a sweatshirt <laughs> with a cool, chunky necklace. So if you can't see this, you've got to go. You got to log on to YouTube and watch the video and you can see what Jamie's wearing. But she's oh just God, rocking this. My- yeah. And your sweatshirt. Yeah. And your sweatpants. But, you know, you've got this cool style. Like, what would you say to somebody that just says, God, how do I kind of put stuff together? What, how would I rock a style? How would I get a cool vibe like Jamie? Do you have any advice? It's like, how do I explain it? It's, it's a feeling. Right. It's like a feeling. Like I, my friend and uh, collaborator, um, Chris, and this is her new line. And uh, I love the color of this sweatshirt. I love this sweatshirt. So I was like, oh, I re- that's fun. That reminds me of Joe. They're like, that's like a, like, oh, that makes me happy today. And then I, you know, saw this necklace just sitting on my dresser. I was like, oh, well, that, why not? Let's just see how that looks. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and I, I was like, oh, do I wear jeans? Or and I was like, oh, let's just go with sweatpants because that's what feels comfortable. And I'm like, oh, I like that color. It's just like being willing to put things together that I guess wouldn't, people wouldn't normally think of, but I'm not thinking of it like that. I'm just approaching like Marie Kondo, right? When she says, does that bring you joy or something like that? Right. The idea that like, you know, does it spark joy? Mm-hmm. You know, so go for the the things that spark joy and be willing to break rules, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And try little trends. If you, if you, if you haven't tried trends, maybe try them in a small way or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. We talked about that before where I was writing for Ariana Huffington when Huffington Post mm-hmm. first launched. And I really wanted to, to talk about how, you know, cause there are a lot of people are like, Oh, I really love, you know, this trend on a runway, but I don't feel like with my body type, I can wear that. Or I really love this leopard print thing, but like, I feel like kind of afraid. And it's like, you could just get socks, right? you know, animal print socks, or just start with a scarf Mm -hmm. with, you know, polka dots, whatever it is, Right. right. Start small. And then like the more, again, it's like what you love, right? The more that you start to sort of, lean into it, then you you start to become more emboldened and empowered to express yourself in that way. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. It's like little things like that. People think they have to wear like, or try to be like a certain uh, picture that they saw in in InStyle or Vogue or, you know, and it's like, that's an extreme jump ahead, you know. Completely extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And also, (laughs) you know, all the the work and the curation and it's like, you know, it's style is... (laughs) It's all, it's, it's, it's an energy too, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like red lipstick, right? Oh, right. Like when you put, like for me, like when I put on red lipstick, it's like there's something that it does. And, and it's interesting when you look at red lipstick with history, um, even in times of war or the great depression, the one sales that would always remain consistent, if not skyrocket was red lipstick. And I think that says a lot about the power of something seemingly small and other people are like, Oh, it's war paint. You know, like it's that thing that makes you, what is that thing that makes you feel more confident um, and stepping out into the world 
That's a good point. Yeah. And that isn't a big, that's a little risk. It's a little risk. You take these little smaller risks, you know? Little risks. Yeah. yeah. I have one burning last question and it yeah. is, um, what is one thing that you haven't told anybody that you think could help somebody? It can be personal. It can be not, it can be inspirational. It can be truthful. Yeah. I don't want it to be anything. I'm thinking of all the different, I mean, there's so many different things. Uh, well, we've talked about being different, but really like, it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to feel like you don't belong. It's okay. If you, you know, don't feel like you're a part of a group or for instance, a lot of the times, like whether it's some big party or a holiday or Disneyland or something like that, I've always had a really challenging time experiencing the same kind of joy that people feel for these things. We're at Disneyland. Everyone's so happy. Why am I not as happy as everyone when we're in the happiest place on earth? It's Christmas day. I should be so joyful. Everyone's celebrating. And it's like, why don't I feel that same thing? I've, it's when we have different internal experiences than other people on the outside world, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us because talking about doing what you love, I know that I experienced that the joy that people feel at, at Disneyland or a joy that people feel at a, at a party, um, having a conversation with you. Mm this conversation brings me that kind of joy and that happiness and that oneness and the togetherness of community and, and relating to human beings. You know, if you have that experience, know that there are places where you will experience that joy and that happiness. And it just may look different than other people, mm -hmm. but it's there. I love that because, you know, we're not alone. And sometimes we just, it's about connecting and being truthful yes. with one another and being yes. truthful with each other about stuff, about how we feel. Because I think so much we have shades up and, you know, we have certain things in the world that we portray yeah, this image, masks. right? Our masks, exactly. Yeah. Our masks. Yeah, who we are when you go to Ralph's right? versus, you know, when you're in your car by yourself or us doing this interview where yeah. we have a connection, we have yeah. a capacity, you and I, to, to be really honest and real with each other where we can do that, you know, and but who we are if we're on a red carpet or, or when you're at the bank or, you know, like with a lover yeah. or a, it's like, it's, it's every person on this planet has thousands of masks without necessarily even being aware of them. And so every time that we can of take them off and reveal ourselves, and experience that oneness and the connection of community and, and that we're all just here, like doing the best that we can, really. Like we're all connected and we're all having a human experience. And there's billions and I mean, infinite shades and reference points of what that looks like. But I do believe at the core, we all want to, to love freely and to be loved unconditionally. Jamie, thank you so much for being honest, thank heartfelt you. and honest and open and share yourself. People don't always do that. And we wear our masks and even in our interviews, oh, you know, yes. like, and we all have to keep them on at all different times. But I appreciate you sharing your story and inspiring others. You inspire me. I appreciate that. We'll talk again. We will. I love you. All thank right. you. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for listening to The Cat's Walk. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producer Gerardo Orlando, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Dave Douglas.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.